Who can say where the killer roams, where the blood flows? It's slaying time. Slay away. Slay away. Hey Slayers, welcome to a very special episode of Slay Away. I'm Anola Lagosi, and I'm here to chat about lore, gore, true crime, and every kill in between. This episode is part of a continuing series of interviews this month celebrating pride with queer creators while exploring queer representation in horror. I'm joined today by Jinx and Jonas from Artemisia's Axe Publishing around the campfire. And I just want to say Jinx and Jonas, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for being here. And are you ready to chat about all things queer horror with me? Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I'm so excited to have this combo. Artemisia's Axe is a micro press publishing house based in Glasgow and a joint partnership between Jinx and Jonas. Um, running a press specializing in horror and celebrating LGBTQ plus representation. They are an openly queer, non-binary and neurodivergent run small business that endeavors to bolster diverse voices and representation in publishing, which is awesome. The first publication, Neon Horror, was successfully funded via Crowdfunder in 2019 and was published to great praise in 2020. A percentage of the proceeds from the book was donated to Mermaids UK and the Thai Campaign for Inclusive Education. They've recently launched their new anthology, Schools and Spells, on Kickstarter as of June 22nd. So congrats on that. So excited slash nervous. <laughs> Their role within the horror community, in addition to running the queer horror micropress, um, Jinx has been working as a horror artist for over 10 years, while Jonas has been making spooky textile art and comics for seven years. They have a fierce love of all things spooky, and the pair also run a shop called the Haunted Bouncy Castle that offers unique Halloween-inspired gifts with original designs from Jinx and Jonas, including spooky handmade plushies, ghost plant pots, witchy pins, haunting art prints, mugs, and more. And they're all available um, to add some flair to your collection of gothic home decor, which those are all things that I love, so I had to (laughs) be sure to include that and say go to the shop (laughs) Um, you can get to it at the haunted bouncy castle.com nice thanks we're a new business so we appreciate so much of the support it's really oh you're so welcome i was like ooh, (laughs) (laughs) i saw some of the plushies and things like that and i love spooky decor so um well yeah but to jump right in please uh feel free to tell us more about what you're working on specifically uh if you want to tell us more about the neon horror anthology and what that collection is all about that would be amazing uh sure uh neon hard the first collection was i like doing bright art and i often felt kind of left out of the horror genre because it's very black and white and red normally so i want to do a publication that really focused on like bright horror because like i loved like 80s kind of horror like that really kitschy like bright colors so i was really inspired to do a theme around that yeah, um, the idea was uh, to to take kind of like that that color palette uh, for the artwork, um, and in a in a kind of more metaphorical sense for the short fiction in it, um, to break out of uh, kind of the kind of stereotypical ideas that that uh, you can have about horror as a genre and uh, see. Uh, 
fright kind of from different angles than mm -hmm. you normally mm -hmm. see, which very much plays into queer horror as a theme in general, because our perspectives are so different from uh, kind of cis hetero perspectives mm -hmm. that um, the things that we're afraid of and reasonably afraid of uh, are kind of in a different different way than than you'd normally expect from the horror genre yeah for sure so we got a bunch of really amazing short stories uh artwork and illustrated stories from was it 20 creators over 20 creators um neon horror had 16 if 16 i'm not mistaken creators, 16 creators. Uh, this time around for skulls and spells which is a new one we do have 21 creators in total yeah because we couldn't not pick a few of them <laughs> Yeah, there we had naturally, of course, but the the second time around, you get a bunch more submissions, and uh, there were just so many people that we absolutely could not say no to <laughs> this time. Yeah, um, yeah. And tell tell us more about skulls and spells, and what's the premise for that one, and how can folks support the Kickstarter? Oh, sure. Uh, skulls and spells, I think, was born out of. Um, I mean, we all went through some stuff last year with COVID and everything, and. We came up with the idea during lockdown because we were just like, like the rest of the world, just in horror with everything that was going on. And so often marginalized voices don't have control over our lives in many ways. And we thought like, what would we do if we did have magic in our lives, you know, and we want to have other creators give us their perspectives as well. Like what's magical horror to them and what would they do given the power of magic in their lives as well? Uh, yeah, um, that is the pre definitely the premise of it, and we've gotten uh, so many submissions from from quite a diverse cast of people with different identities uh, and different perspectives on this uh, magical supernatural horror, um, and uh, we're really happy to have comics in it this oh my time God, around. The comics, yeah. yeah. Um, which wasn't the case for last time. We ha hadn't gotten any co comics submitted last time. And um, there's just material in there that had has made me weep, literally <laughs> weep, reading it for the first time. And, uh, and it's it's amazing. Uh, on the, the campaign is on Kickstarter right now. It's it's live since since yesterday. Um, we're a project we love. Uh, designated by Kickstarter, and that was amazing. We, yeah, we got thirty four percent of our funding in a day. Yeah, that was really, really amazing. <laughs> uh, we're quite happy about that. Um, and yeah, you can just find it on Kickstarter under Skulls and Spells. Yeah, we don't publish anything that's not queer. Yeah, that's, the, all that's we the do. whole point, basically. So, so the, <laughs> the whole point of Artemis, yeah, yeah, the whole point of uh, Artemis X as a uh, publisher is to elevate the voices of our community because um, there is just a lack of, especially a lack of paid opportunities for artists and creators from the community yeah. uh, in publishing uh, quite severely. So uh, our mission statement is basically uh, only publish people from the community uh, and get them paid as much as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. um and make really pretty books in the process <laughs> that's that's kind of like the the mission statement for Artemis Axe. yeah 
Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, I'm looking, um, I, I'm looking at the Kickstarter page right now and I was just looking at this. Is this going to be the cover art, yeah. Jinx? Yeah, this is a cover art that uh, we both worked on together since we're both artists. So I came up with the design and uh, Jonas did the line work and then I did the color work for it. And then I did the the kind of like the designy part of it with like fonts and stuff. Yeah. So it was a real team effort between the two of yeah. us. We wanted something that was like, because uh, I have, I love carnivorous plants. <laughs> and I thought uh, it would be really cool to have a, a cover that featured magic, but also horror in a way that wasn't normally seen on book covers, you know, like really illustrative, kind of gory in a, in a very subtle sort of way, you know. Oh, yeah, I really like it. Thank you. Thanks. It's sort of like a horror high fantasy. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I kind of like that. It's nice. Yeah, we're kind of uh, seeing a lot of uh, a lot of horror co- uh, book covers lately are just like uh, misty, dark con- county roads and stuff, <laughs> and like uh, very nebulous, uh, high designy stuff where you don't really get a, a real image. So we wanted to have something that that ref- reflects that high fantasy approach. Yeah. We're both uh, big fans of fantasy and horror and magic. So we wanted something that reflected our interest as well as the creators, since we have a huge variety of how people interpreted magic in their life. So we didn't want to go with the standard, like very Western ideas of, of magic. We want to explore more uh, kind of esoteric ideas of magic and mm. stuff. Well, I'm really excited. I love it. Can't wait to back the project. And those are all things that I really love as well. So, oh, yay. yay. So, so <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot. That means a lot for us, yeah. Um, well, how did you two discover your love of horror? Uh, I mean, for me, growing up, um, my mom was into horror, kind of. Like, she won't admit this now. <laughs> um, but she read a lot. And uh, I know she's not great now, but when I was younger, she wasn't so bad. Anne Rice, I read a lot of her books. And I loved Interview with the Vampire and like all the the ghost stories as well that went along with them and Grimm's fairy tales and stuff. Like I really, I didn't have the best childhood, so it was a really nice way for me to escape and also find uh, a cathartic way to deal with my environment through through horror in a sense. You know, oh, I definitely know. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonas, what about you? Uh, for me, it was um, uh, being into horror is uh, in comparison a little bit newer development. Um, I've really only started com- uh, eight years ago that it, that I really started consuming horror media in in a bigger way when I met Jinx. Um, before that, I only ever kind of like. Uh, got in contact with like super mainstream uh, like horror movies that you see on TV sometimes or stuff like that and never really got hooked Um, and when I met Jinx they uh, kind of exposed me more to to indie movies and uh, and horror fiction and publishing and stuff like that and and I started reading more uh, horror comics as well Oh yeah, horror comics. Um, yeah. I did, however, always kind of have a thing for making horror art uh, that was has long been with me. I'm originally I'm an illustrator, and 
there is like old old sketchbooks of mine that i wouldn't want to show anybody anymore um <laughs> that have like a bunch of body horror uh, creatures in them and like very cronenbergian designs <laughs> and stuff but like um yeah i never really had the connection between like uh horror inspiration and the th stuff that i was doing that kind of like only came together when jinx and i got together yeah but you've been like really into it because when mm -hmm. we um we met in berlin germany and there's a fantastic uh feminist horror fest there called final girls berlin and i really i had my artwork there on show and the people there were super lovely and i think uh jonas got a real taste of what like queer feminist horror could be and like at the look on your face <laughs> was that was amazing. that was definitely one of the key moments where yeah. i where it like really really clicked for me that yeah. that is that is not only like what i want to see in in a big way but mm. also uh the kind of stuff that i want to be involved in the making of yeah yeah for sure I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I am desperate to go to Berlin someday. So oh, definitely do. Um, it's got a great horror scene there. Yeah, it's a great place to visit. Yeah, yeah. Really nice folk. What is a, you know, queer horror film? Not It doesn't even have to be a queer horror film, but a horror film game or novel um, that is a favorite of yours. Oh, this is tough. There's so many. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think... For a film, I would say um, Tigers Are Not Afraid is a recent favorite that I saw in Berlin at the Final Girls Festival. It was, um, I have a thing for Guillermo del Toro movies and stuff like that. And it very much felt like that. There was a lot of social commentary mixed with fantasy and horror. And it was just a heart-wrenching story. And it was just so spooky. And I hadn't seen anything like that in horror in a while like that kind of um horror and because it involved children and it was just heartbreaking and like amazing at the same time so definitely a favorite uh for me what about you Jonas? i really love tigers i'm not afraid <laughs> as well that is overall one of the best movies that i've seen in the last like 10 oh, years yeah. easily um i in terms of horror i also really enjoyed uh the jordan peele movies um get out and us oh yeah those, those are fantastic were, those are fantastic movies that's for yeah. sure um i also thought cam was a really good movie oh, that yeah. we watched together cam i think that was on good. netflix yeah. i like cam quite a bit yeah. i've just watched it the second time recently yeah. and um i think it's really interesting and i love that it was actually a former cam girl Maybe. that was telling this story yeah. um yeah. and took that dark like horror twist to it um yeah i thought it was really good yeah, i love like it was really also kind of neon horror it was really bright and poppy and just kind of like nausea i got like immediate feelings of nausea and yeah. stuff when i watched that movie that's was... that movie is definitely one of the things that i that is like in in my mental pinterest board of uh <laughs> of like neon horror when i'm when i'm thinking about oh, that that's for sure yeah definitely 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 but oh one thing i always want to recommend is because it's a really underrated comic it's called insects it's by margaret bennett it's super body horror and queer horror and it's amazing uh it's, the artist is ariel Cristantina, and there's a few colorists which i'm blanking on the names which i feel bad about but it's an incredibly good queer horror comic and it really needs to get more attention because it's just just gorgeous um 
the social commentary and the body horror and everything. It's is just so good. So yeah. good. Gets so. us back to the Cronenbergian. Oh yeah. <laughs> Again. It's yeah. like I mean CW for like insect like body horror stuff. It's intense yeah. stuff. Definitely. But definitely worth the read if you're into that kind of stuff. I just looked it up and I was like, okay, and it's spelled I N S E X T S. Yes. Yes. So. And how many do I'm looking to see how many volumes there are because I see this one, Chrysalis is only volume one. So there's um there's a couple of different ways that you can get it. I think there's originally two trade paperbacks or one big hardcover that covers both of those. Um, that is kind of like the first season of it basically um they uh went on to do a couple of other projects afterwards individually so both margaret bennett who's the author and ariella christantina went on to do other work because indie publishing and comics is um is a it's tough tough way to make money it's for sure um uh, but I think there is cursory plans of eventually bringing it back. Yeah. If there's enough buzz about it, I mean, I think they'll bring it back. I was so enamored by it. I actually went to Thought Bubble. It's a Comic-Con in the UK and met the artist Ariel Christentina. And I bought one of the original pages because it was mm. so flipping amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I paid good I money that. for that. Yeah. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite queer storyteller? Oh, yes. Um, do you want to go first this time? Um, so queer, queer storytellers overall, that's not necessarily horror, but I recently really enjoyed um, uh, comics by Jen Wang and Alice Osman. I hope I'm pronouncing the later right. Um, Jen Wang uh, made uh, the graphic novel The Prince and the Dressmaker. Uh, the Prince and the Dressmaker. Oh, that was amazing. Um, which is just a beautiful st- story. Uh, it's kind of like a, like an old-fashioned fairy tale um, or stuff like that, but it's super gay. And um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to, like, spoiler it at all, but it's just such a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alice Osman made Heartstopper, uh, which is a series of graphic novels as well that uh, follows um, uh, men loving men, high school love story, which it's is amazing. just a beautiful coming of age story and deals with a lot of stuff around uh, queer relationships, mm-hmm. which is absolutely well written. Yeah, they're also great. making it into a Netflix series. Also that, yes, yeah. that's going to be great. I, I, or I hope it's going to be great. Let's say that. Um, I mean, for me, there's a few, I mean, Carmen Maria Machado, who did Her Body in Other Parties, is definitely a favorite of mine. That was one of the first times I read horror and I felt seen, you know, because she was so blatantly queer and eviscerating. And it was just a beautiful experience to find that book in this, like, dusty old bookshop in Berlin. I was just like, I finally feel seen in horror. This is amazing. So she's definitely uh, a favorite. I read her recent book, which is more autobiographical, in the Dream House, which was also incredible, really incredible books. I highly recommend uh, reading them. Do you identify with any queer characters in horror? And, you know, what impact did the portrayal of those characters have on you? Um, I don't know if she's canonically queer, but uh, Claudia from Interview with the Vampire, um, 
when I first read her and saw her performance also uh, in the movie Interview with the Vampire, I, as a disabled queer person, I really, it really resonated with me because she was a woman essentially trapped in a young child's body. And for me being a disabled person, I often have this feeling of like feeling trapped in my body because I have such limitations and uh, the system we, and the society we live in also makes me feel like a burden on a daily. So I really uh, related to her frustration because she was like permanently trapped in this body that was not her choice. She was forced into it and like just uh, her rage and uh, frustration at being stuck there was it was really powerful especially in the movie was really powerful to see like how that was conveyed to me and also I just felt like she met a really unfair end in both the story and the movie <laughs> which I feel like a lot of the same she really does and the interesting relationship sort of dynamic between her and this mother figure mm-hmm. um that Louis brought in it really just always makes me angry every time same, same. uh it was very unfair every time and it was all to um i don't know teach louis a lesson or something yeah, but I, I didn't understand like how and it was also just like super like kind of sex is like teaching the women folk like the like that they're bad because like the men made a mistake also it was kind of like it was just really a weird way for that to go like just really unfortunate ending for that character I felt like she was such a interesting character as well I felt like she could have been explored throughout the narrative yeah I agree uh Jonas what about you um I can't honestly say that I have um uh have a character that I would feel like represented by uh, but there's certainly uh queer characters in horror that I really really like and that I'm very interested in. Um, for example, uh, there's a the Scandinavian movie uh, Thelma, um, which has the main character of the same name, uh, that I think is uh, is an amazing character study. It uh, really explores kind of um, uh, people who come from uh, like fundamentalist religious backgrounds uh where it's super super not okay to be queer and what that does to them and mm. uh there's also a, a movie about like uh, supernatural horror it, it's so so well written mm-hmm. very much recommend that yeah that was a great yeah. queer that went under the radar i think for a few people because it's not really like um what people consider horror like i know a lot of people have different ideas of horror um and i think thelma is definitely gone underrated it was amazing that movie really really great queer horror definitely it's coming up a lot recently with folks talking about it and it's one that's it's on my watch list because i haven't seen it yet um and i think it's on netflix and hulu it's definitely on hulu for anyone who's in the united states at least and I don't know uh, how else you can access it. But I just want to remind people that if you Google a movie, you can look at the sidebar and see where all those movies are available to watch. <laughs> so there's always a way to find where you can access a film. Um, and typically it'll take you like right to the watch page where you can either rent or you know purchase a film. Um, and then if you're on Letterboxd as well, um, usually you can look up a film and also see where it's accessible. I think Letterboxd is probably actually the best way to go because um, it gives you all the watch options, uh, not just in like the U.S. and stuff like that. It'll give you whatever country. That's great. Oh, cool. Which is really good. I didn't know about uh, so that I've enjoying been enjoying that site quite a bit. I can send it to you. I just looked up 
um, Tigers are not afraid on there because I think it's one that's been on my watch list for a really long time that I haven't gotten around to. But I also am a huge uh, Guillermo del Toro fan. Yes, nice. I think Tigers are not afraid had been on the festival circuit for a long time and it wasn't really available to stream, so you'd always have to like catch yeah. it at a festival. I think it was also yeah, and now it's available on Shutter oh, nice. US. Nice. Amazing, yeah, yeah. So um very excited to sit down and watch this and I'm going to make sure uh, I'm going to let everyone know that uh, you've recommended it. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about queer representation in horror. And this is where we're going to get into chatting about different examples that you have of, you know, queer representation in horror that you believe has been done well and uh, queer representation that really has not been done well. And you can talk about either whatever you feel comfortable with. but. What do you think overall about queer representation in horror and different instances in which it's been done well or not so well? Uh, it's kind of a subjective question. Like everyone has their own queer horror experience. Like what's good to me is not good for someone else, you know? Um, but like for me, I guess, like uh, spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> like for me, like the movie Raw uh, by Julie Ducourneau was amazing. And there was the character of the young gay man uh, who was questioning his sexuality. Adrian. Yes, thank you. I always blank on names. I'm terrible. Um, I was just writing about uh, the film in an article, so I did oh, a little digging. Nice. <laughs> so it came up, it's come up quite a bit this month. So yeah, awesome. let's talk about Raw and Adrian and, and the representation there. Oh my God, it was amazing. Like, I love that movie. It was super, super intense. Unfortunately, made the mistake of eating while watching that movie. <laughs> well, the first time around first time we, around. we started watching it together <laughs> together and then like uh, the food came and we were like absolutely we have to pause <laughs> and um yeah. uh then somehow never picked picked it back up again and then jinx watched it yeah I'd again, watched it, and I, I still have to watch the second half of it yeah but i'm fine with spoilers it's, it's fine. Okay? you can, okay. you can talk, talk about stuff it's okay okay yeah. cool um but for me the experience of adrian and the movie uh was just like him questioning his sexuality, you know, like, and his experience with the main character and him, like, eventually, like, like hooking up with her and everything, and just like the whole experience was so, some so 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 similar to what I experienced growing up as a queer person because I am pansexual, and I was like, people kept trying to put me in a box and like, oh, but you're just a lesbian, oh, you're just a straight person, and I was just like, no, I I like both, and it took me a while to get there it wasn't like oh poof i'm gay <laughs> so i experimented a bunch and you could see that with him like his questioning and like his giving into these things but then him like reaffirming going no he's like i'm not doing this anymore he's like i'm not going back in the closet because this is who i am and i thought that was a really great moment because it wasn't like um like so forced it was him going through this whole experience and then going no i'm actually gay and this is okay for me to do this you know like this is okay for me to be me so i thought it was really reaffirming to see that and a movie done so well um for me i mean as i've already mentioned telma telma is, is a great example for for that as well i think oh, yeah, the, the struggles with her family and with her just like queerness in herself the way that that uh is because she's so indoctrinated uh the way that uh, she denies herself kind of like living living her true self it's uh, really really well portrayed another one that i was just thinking of as well and i 
shamefully have forgotten the name of the character. It's the the main character from Bit, oh, uh, which yeah. is a very fun vampire movie. It definitely classifies as horror as well because there'd be blood. But um, the main character is also uh, uh, turns out is a trans woman, but it's kind of like not the point of the character at all. It's yeah. like uh, like uh, coincidentally queer. I personally really like that, especially in horror films where we can explore a narrative and it's like, hey, and my friend here is is trans or my friend here is uh, queer. And it's like that doesn't have to necessarily be the whole premise or basis of a film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think the representation is important and it's just people existing as who they are. So yeah. much this like, I, I mean, I I really appreciate it when people go beyond that like it's just like when something is set in a world like where that conversation has already happened you know and now we're just focusing on the complexities of living as a queer person you know instead of focusing on the fact that this is like the main thing so exactly i think um too much time in in mainstream media uh, that deals with queerness is spent on kind of like treating the coming out as like the big big thing in our lives kind of uh, uh and it's like uh this this uh this big event that happens one time and then uh, <laughs> then you're all out to the world and stuff which is such so could could not be farther from the truth because uh basically you have to co- come out to people on a regular basis oh yeah uh, like every new person that you meet who you deem worth that information has to get that information broken to them at some point yeah. So uh, that is not at all what our existence is about. And uh, I feel good representation is about the lives we lead mm-hmm. and not the fact that we are some c- kind of form of otherness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, really well said. I don't think I could have said it better there. And that's what I talk to people about a lot. This is why representation can be framed as good or bad um or you know when we get into sort of the queer villainy tropes and things in a lot of horror films um yes there can be queer villains there can 100 percent be queer villains but they can't be villains because they're queer yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's the whole point it can't be that their their villainy is driven by their queerness um that is the the problem exactly like if there was like a room full of us like of queer people then we would all have a narrative you know and we'd be complex characters except Mm. we're normally just the one person who is the epitome of evil in these like cis hetero narratives so that's not at all accurate you know yeah like if you have a show like um we were also like you brought up the question of like not great representation and i thought about it a bunch and um there's this tv series killing eve which I really love. It's like not like classically horror, but it has a lot of horror element. And there's a lot of queer baiting and stuff in the show, which I'm really not a fan of. But the thing that I, I liked about that show is it shows complex queer lives, you know? Yeah. It it doesn't show us it's like happy all the time and like rainbows. <laughs> you know? It showed us as people and how complex it is and how it's not uh, often discussed, how complex queer and marginalized experiences are, you know? Mm. Uh, well, I don't appreciate the queer baitiness of the show that has lasted way too long at this point. Yep. I do appreciate two really complex queer characters uh, at the front of that show. 
Yeah. And as we're talking about this, uh, if you're comfortable with it, I can ask you a little bit about the, the Hayes Code question um, and bring that up. Oh, sure. 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 So um, with us talking about this and, you know, what's problematic, what's not problematic, like how these things have sort of come up is the Hayes Code system. So the Hayes Code was a system of film censorship um, through up to through, I think, the uh, late 1960s. And the general principle section had outlined the ways in which um, the system was meant to protect audiences from sympathizing with the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil or sin. And um, with that, we often see villains in horror um, being queer coded characters, even in some cases to this day. Um, but for the most part, like the system itself has been thrown out. Um, now, with looking at that particular section um, at the time period, this uh, queerness was seen as as evil, sin, wrongdoing been a lot for us to overcome especially with the media uh, even in film uh, projecting queerness this way so um why do you believe that queer characters are still often seen in some cases in as antagonists um or seemingly added as afterthoughts with little character development or substance um i mean i think because a lot of the money in our society still goes to set people that write stories about us with their own prerogatives in mind and very little or no caring or malicious intent towards our LGBTQ plus community. I mean, you could just look at the monopoly that is Disney, right? Like they own so much media and they're infamous for erasing queer characters and then making us villains and then like trying to break up the cishet nuclear family. I mean, I feel like media is getting better, but I feel like it should be diversifying a bit faster. It has been a bit of a crawl to get there, but I think horror is actually being a little bit better than most other genres, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, there was a huge uptick in like cartoons and stuff like with Rebecca Sugar's like Steven Universe and She-Ra recently by Noelle Stevenson. Like, those are huge wins, but they have really had to fight for those those uh, queer representations in cartoons because there's still such active uh, repression of, of us, you know, and yeah. I think that's the main thing. Uh, exactly. I think that that is also um, in the spaces where creative talent is actually trying to bring better representation to, to media. Uh, there is still these old power structures that are often getting in the way because like mm -hmm. uh, uh, you have all of these corporate people uh, who are in the mix with, uh, with kind of like publishing and, and, and film studios and so on and so forth. Uh, who are following kind of like uh, cons very conservative marketing ideas mm -hmm. uh, and like um, they but the only thing that they care about is whether or not they can just market the movie or book or something in another country that is like still way more restrictive mm -hmm. uh, to uh, to to like our community than than maybe our countries are and um so you kind of always run into the smallest common denominator in terms mm. of freedom uh of expression um and like uh all of the progress that we're making in terms of representation and and uh, and kind of like acceptance at, in culture at large uh is is in terms of creative expression oftentimes stifled mm. by that 
lowest common denominator of yeah. uh, uh, of of freedom, basically, uh, across the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting because sort of talking about that, one of the things that's being shipped right now <laughs> is this film from Disney, uh, Pixar, that just came out, right? Uh, Luca, and people are shipping it as a gay movie. Uh, so what's interesting about that is that um, the film's director, Casa Rosa, explicitly has said that the film is not queer. But mm -hmm. despite that fact, a lot of people are saying this film is 100% allegory for queerness and coming out. now. Mm -hmm. The thing for me is, and I just watched an amazing panel from the Comic-Con at home uh, in 2020, and it was talking about horror is queer. And essentially, um, even beyond horror, you can look at a film like this and say, if I identify with this and I can see the allegory and it's there, this mm -hmm. is a queer film because mm -hmm. I have oh, yeah. I have taken oh, yeah. it and I and I have said that I identify mm -hmm. with this and and that I see those themes and those things. So reg unfortunately, regardless of Casa Rosa's intent, um, <laughs> if we if we as queer people claim this is a queer film, well, it's queer. Um, and I thought that that that's sort of what they said in the, on that panel. And the same thing goes for like characters and horror and things like that. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting way of seeing things and doing things and i was like yeah i mean if we claim this for us in our community then then, then it's queer yeah. um yeah. so what do you guys think about that i very much agree because um there, there's basically the same thing as well for the neurodiverse uh communities as well mm, yeah. um because there's so many there's such incredibly poor rep representation often prevalent uh especially for characters that are on the autism spectrum um, that kind of uh, it is way more common that you'll have a character that's just written as like not explicit explicitly as autistic but just as kind of a socially awkward type of person who doesn't like eye contact and is a little bit like in quotes quirky um, uh, and that is way more often actually accurate to the lived experience to of a lot of autistic people than than like openly autistic uh written or canonically autistic uh people mm. because you you have a lot of stereotypes that are being uh, perpetuated like with characters like Rainmond and so on and so forth that is not really the lived experience for nope. a lot of uh, a lot of people on the spectrum yeah like recently we saw um Entrapta and Shira who Noelle Stevenson uh, came out and said that they were they worked with an autistic person on their team for Entrapta specifically, and that uh, she confirmed that Entrapta was autistic, which I thought was amazing because like you rarely ever see that. So it was nice while we we kind of like knew it was a thing, but also to have that confirmation was also nice from mm. the creators. But I also do agree like with like since there's such a lack of queer stories that we as queer people have found queerness and narratives that may not be explicitly queer, but since we've connected with it, um, then it's queer, you know? Yeah, and yeah. for me, that's alien. And I shipped that in my last episode of Slay Away, uh, my last horror review episode. And um, I, I think I was like, people are going to be really annoyed at me for being like, this <laughs> film is gay, or they're going to be, um, they're going to be on board with it. Um, and I don't know, I, I was like, however it goes either way, to me, 
there's a non-binary um, sort of representation in that film and a lot of gender non-conforming in that film. And so it resonates with me as a queer film. And the last time I watched it before I was getting ready for um, talking about it, I thought to myself, I feel like this film is queer. And I started looking it up and <laughs> articles from other people that identified with it in the way that I did. And I was like, I felt very good and sort of confirming for me that like, yes, this, this is a queer horror film if, if it yeah. is it's for validating, you. It's validating, right? It's I mean, super validating. Yeah, and in, in a way, uh, like Ripley is definitely a non-binary character because oh God, uh, yeah. she was yeah. originally written to be a man. Yes, exactly. And that's what I said. I was like, this was written as a male character and it was Ridley Scott that made this character a woman. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they just for the fuck of it, they just uh, decided to cast a woman. In yeah. It. Like, we watched a really excellent uh, panel yeah. at the Final Film Girls uh, Festival a few years ago about Alien. And I have to go to this festival sometime. That'll be my mission. You, I mean, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. They have some They're amazing uh, workshops. They got some incredible people to do some really great talks there. So I really was highly suggested when it's all safe for us again. Yeah, <laughs> it's super fun. They're, yeah. they're great. and But they also put together a really good online oh, program yeah. last, last year. Yeah, I like, definitely. That um, was really good. That was good. They had an online program there. Sadly, we couldn't watch some of it because Germany has some copyright restrictions. So I only got to see, like I think, four of the horror panels. But they were all really great. Yeah. So. And uh, the short story collections were... Oh my God, were, those were incredible. Could, yeah. So you could watch the short stories across borders mm -hmm. just like feature films you couldn't, yeah. couldn't watch but uh, you're still gonna get like uh, a lot of value out of out of the festival yeah. online for sure oh well, i'm super excited to check it out um then and kind of see what i can find about it because i think that sometimes we get really inundated with certain types of horror within the horror community because there's I guess what would we call like the flashy uh, side of horror that's like very cishet, right? Yeah. Um, yeah where we have to kind of sometimes dig and find um, these other types of narratives that will not necessarily apply or impact us differently, but we're looking a little bit deeper than the slasher film or um, like some things that maybe you're only lightly tinged with horror themes like you talked about the that other film earlier um oh Thelma yeah. yeah yeah but um so I had a question that actually came from another guest and um I'll ask it if you guys feel comfortable answering but um what they had said to me is that there are um terrors other than death and horror films and we're talking specifically more about the um bury your gaze trope Mm -hmm. um, I say bury instead of bury. <laughs> no. um, so, uh, yeah, there are terrors other than death and horror films for all minority groups. One may be the threat of assimilation where minority identities are wiped clear. So we see uh, some of this in the con conversion therapy movies that mm -hmm. have come out, which are pretty horrific in what oh they threaten God. queer individuals with. So um, is this and other threats the new frontier for queer horror and i thought that was a really interesting question so um I, I i'm not sure how often these films are coming out um at this point but what do you guys think um i mean i really do think this is an uptick and like i'm not i'm hesitant to say anything's like a new frontier um but i think this is there's definitely an uptick in social commentary in horror that's less subtle you know 
Um, you can see that with Jordan Peele's like Get Out and Us, like those are real like heavy narratives of social commentary, which I think are long overdue, you know, and I'm super, super happy to see them. Like we had a bunch of submissions to our anthology this year that were horror, but they were also commenting on social structures that in and of, them, of themselves were horrific, you know, and I really am happy to see more people talking about it because so often we are disenfranchised and have this kind of voice to talk about um, our marginalization is really cathartic and also can be a really important tool for like the change we need in our world. So I think it's great. Yeah, um, for me, kind of, um, yeah, like what Jinx said plays more into what I think about it as well, like that, uh, that, Kind of the new frontier of of horror is probably breaking it out of uh, these kind of like stereotypical pattern storytelling patterns and and kind of tropey stuff um, because there is uh, so much to human experience um, and so many facets uh, of it that um, uh, fencing it in with these tried and true storytelling mechanisms uh, doesn't do the world justice and doesn't really do justice what's really scary and especially mm. what's scary for marginalized groups of people and um to me those kind of movies that that are kind of like just zero really zeroing in on a kind of like a particular kind of suffering of a of a marginalized group oftentimes also don't really aren't really helping because uh, I feel that there's a difference between kind of like, uh, you know, like it's scary and potentially kind of lethal to be different in the world, you know, and then there is these movies that are kind of like, they look at these kids, they're different, so we're going to watch them die kind of movies you know like uh these these kind of uh, yeah I think it's definitely on how it's presented and yeah, and you can so. almost. I don't want to say smell when it's going to be <laughs> very different. Um, and that's, you know, metaphorical in terms of smelling it. But it's it's you sort of I think some of it's all in the opener. You can kind of see how mm -hmm. this is going to go. And sometimes I'll just shut a film off if I'm like, mm, I don't think I don't I think like so. <laughs> some, some movies are very like voyeuristic in terms of like right. watching, yeah, watching yeah. particular types of suffering. You get you get that a lot with um movies that are uh, you had like a lot of movies in in the late in the last years that kind of dealt with uh, with like american slavery for example in a way that i felt was quite voyeuristic and it wasn't like about the lives of black people in america it was more about just like watching them suffer a lot yeah and and i don't really go in for movies that are like that i'm more interested in in and seeing actual representation or we're getting back to that re representation again where well, you want to yeah. see like how people actually live and not like just how they're made to suffer yeah like what you got to see a bit of that ownership with us and get out you know like they had real autonomy in their stories yeah. you know like it was i mean amazing also you had lovecraft country re recently as well which was yeah which flips the lid on whoa yeah hp <laughs> So fuck that yeah. guy. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I uh, oh, I was gonna something. Th this kind of brought up. We were talking about um, 
queerness in in horror films and this isn't really a horror film but i'm thinking back to like uh the adaptation of uh, v for vendetta for example and Mm -hmm. i think you could totally miss the fact that people being persecuted in that film are queer people yep yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't think people even think of it as a queer film. And I was like, oh, it is. And then totally and is. the person who is uh, um, in the mask uh, as a guy, Fox, I think that yeah. his name, uh, is um, not really not a villain. He's more like an antihero um, and trying to break the system. Right. So mm-hmm. it's uh, interesting. It just made me kind of think about that when you were uh talking about different films and how they represent marginalized people. Cause really in that film, the only time we see queer individuals is while they're suffering. Exactly. And that like mm. paints us like, as like, and this is where we run back into the circle. Well, except for the very nice story with the two women before the suffering, but oh cause God, we did yeah. get a flashback, but it's um, that's mm. where you realize, Oh my God, this is what's happening. Uh, there in is that. a bit more of it in the, in the comic, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, but yeah, Alan Moore is a bit of a guy for just like showing suffering to make sure who's the bad guy. There's a lot of yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I think it's a, it made me think of it because I was like, yeah, and I don't I remember how uncomfortable uh, it made me. Um, same. And I don't watch I don't watch the film anymore. Um, it's, it's really sad, right? Because like. I think as I've grown up and become like uh, coming out as non-binary and queer and you go back and look at these films and go, whoa, this is like super problematic. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this did not. Right. Work. And for yeah. me, it's taken a long time to get to where I am. And one of the things that's so great about this project is exploring even more with other queer individuals because I didn't come out till my, I came out in my late twenties and then I got a, uh, a very interesting response from my parents and I went back in the closet for about three to four years um, until I moved away. So I moved away to another state when then I like never really interacted with them. Um, And at that time, moving away, then I was in Los Angeles. And so I was really able to explore and and, uh, do things for myself and uh, leave a very toxic uh, cishet relationship. as well mm-hmm. <laughs> i have an interesting story like i was engaged in everything so oh my god uh and now i am where i am now um where i've started to figure out who i am and identify myself if i need if i feel i need an identifier um and i think that uh, there's a lot of fluidity going on and and my identity but no matter what it's always queer <laughs> so um and i'm really trying to own that and then you know connect with other queer creators to that's that's, that's super nice it's quite similar for myself as well like um uh, i didn't i didn't um run into as much trouble uh like like you unfortunately did but i did only come out when i was like 30 basically right my, yeah later in life coming out is also scary yeah yeah totally. um, and for me it wasn't even uh wasn't even bad basically so like i wasn't even like i i had uh had like so berlin is obviously a very queer town right so i'm from berlin germany and um uh it was always around me but i just never because i'm because i'm not just 
ha I don't just have like a binary sexuality. I am also pansexual. Um, that it never went that far in terms of representation around me. So mm. I never knew that it was a possibility to to like both like all kinds of people. You know, like I'm pan I'm pansexual as well, and I think that's why I had such a struggle with. Um, yeah figuring out where the hell I fit um, and yeah. then thinking maybe uh, I can I guess um, there really is no box if you will nope yeah um, and uh, even with my pansexuality um, and I identify as non-binary but then sometimes I think am I more gender fluid um, you know and it's uh, just very interesting. And it took me a long time into my early 30s to really figure out the, that I'm very attracted to all different kinds of people and genders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing because like um, I also grew up in a really uh, toxic household who were very about bi and pansexual erasure. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to Berlin that I felt safe to be me and to like really feel safe, like, whoa, like, and I also experienced when I was in this really toxic area in, in the States, um, a lot of pressure from the community as well. Like I had a lot of like uh, lesbian women who were like, oh, you're just gay or, oh, you're just straight. And I was like, I can like all people. I don't. Right. And on the flip, do you have that flip side of experiencing uh, queer gatekeeping within the queer community? Cause that's been my main roadblock. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. With uh, dating women for I, example <laughs> oh my god i had that so much when i first went to germany like the amount of uh gatekeeping i got was really upsetting because i thought i finally found community and then to find that kind of gatekeeping within the community was like really disheartening so i didn't date for a long time mm. <laughs> after that because i had a few really awful experiences and i was just like you know what I don't have to be in any sort of box. I'm just going to like who I like and that's it. And screw you if you're going to give me shit about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you both so much for coming and having this great conversation with me today. Uh, Jinx and Jonas. Um, is there anything else you want to leave us with? Uh, no, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank for you so much for having, having us. us. It's been a real pleasure getting yeah. to know you and talking about horror. It's so nice to talk to more queer people about horror. Like, it's just, yeah, like, I feel like that's finally coming up and horror is amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. That and support our Kickstarter. It's uh, <laughs> Skulls and Spells on Kickstarter. I was about to do a little <laughs> shout out at the end and you can go and support Skulls and Spells on Kickstarter right now. Uh, you can just Google Skulls and Spells Kickstarter like I did and go right to the page. And there's lots of uh, great information there about what to expect with the anthology. And please support indie uh, publishers. That would be really cool. We have a ton of really good rewards and a secret special skull plushie for top tier rewards that's coming out this the next week. So keep your I'm eyes sold. peeled. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again. It was great having you. Thanks for gathering around the campfire, listeners. Come slay away with us next time and be sure to follow at Slay Away Radio on Twitter and Facebook.